Welcome to Lessons from Sweet Valley, the podcast where we re-examine the Sweet Valley High series one book at a time and determine what lessons, if any, we can learn from them. My name is Kat Thomas, and today we are discussing book 13, Kidnapped. My guest today is an advanced doctoral candidate whose work focuses on the intersections between horror cinema, critical race theory, and cultural studies. She is also a dear friend of mine and one heck of a horror movie companion, Ashley R. Smith. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This was my first Sweet Valley high reading experience. So, And I'm so happy it was lucky number 13. Yes. So appropriate. Now you have an interest in horror, clearly, because <laughs> you study it, you teach it. Mm-hmm. Were you into that horror in high school? I wasn't. I don't think so. Like I was always kind of like into like true crime stuff. Okay. And I in high school, especially earlier on, I thought I was really gonna go into like forensic psychology or something like that. I was looking at kind of like more of a law enforcement type bent related to like behavioral sciences and psychology and stuff. And then the more I started thinking about that as a real, like what it would look like in my day-to-day life, if that's what I did for a living, I thought it would maybe be kind of like too heavy and too intense of an existence so that like still like studying that more from an academic perspective and through the lens of media and movies and TV shows and things that, that focused on that, that I liked, that that would be kind of a lighter way of engaging with that material and probably more sustainable so what do you think it's about true crime that interests you at that age especially it's hard to say like I watched the Sons of the Lambs with my dad I got a VHS copy of it at a flea market like when I was around <laughs> 12 or something and watched it with him and it really really messed with my head I was really I was so terrified at the end of it and my dad's response to that was, well, you just have to look at it like it's a movie. I said, well, I can't do, that's like, just like disavowing the knowledge that people like this exist isn't like a solution for me. Cause I know that's, I know that's true that yeah. this is real, you know? Mm-hmm. So like just pretending I don't know that, you know, didn't help me feel any more safe or secure. And I remember I had like a really hard time sleeping and it was summer and there were the summer Olympics. And I remember being up cause I couldn't sleep just watching like, women's beach volleyball or something <laughs> like with my dad because um, I couldn't sleep because of Sons of the Lambs and then I became obsessed with why Sons of the Lambs like freaked me out and was just like watching it over and over and over again becoming like more and more engaged in it until that was like what I thought I wanted to pursue was being in behavioral sciences and the FBI yada yada and, and then I feel like also at a fairly early age too this is something that's always been fascinating to me too. I remember seeing the Stone Phillips interview with Jeffrey Dahmer on like Dateline NBC or something mm-hmm. and being like terrified, but also like I couldn't look away uh-huh. from it. I needed to know more. And I think those two, this revulsion, the simultaneous like revulsion and attraction has just kind of fueled my connection to true crime and and things over time that it's just, I find that like dyad really fascinating. Yep. And it's for that reason that you are the perfect guest for our first quote unquote thriller oh. of the series. And I was unaware that 
the charm for this was like a, a thriller. What? But that's not happening. <laughs> what's happening? Well, I didn't because I haven't read any of the other books, so I didn't know what yeah. to expect. You know, um, I was, the things that horrified me are not the things that were supposed to be horrifying. <laughs> so we, as reader, or I guess me. <laughs> Reading the previous book, it ends with Elizabeth getting kidnapped by Carl. And we know it's Carl. So I was kind of thinking maybe to go through this, I put together a little bit of a, of a timeline. We'll, okay. In like the spirit of a true crime podcast or a true crime something. A timeline of the kidnapping and sure, yeah. the ensuing events around them. Okay. So the big event of the beginning of the book is this party at the Godfrey Mansion, and it's a new family that's coming to Sweet Valley, and this is the biggest house in Sweet Valley, which is a big deal. And so they're going to be basically the new richest family in Sweet Valley. And okay. there's a older son, Nicholas, who's 18, and then there's a daughter, Regina, who's 16, which is Jessica's age. And Jessica has a mission she has a goal and she wants to she just knows nicholas is going to be the guy for her she says he's fabulously rich what could be wrong with him exactly yeah and it seems so odd that she's so hell-bent on being with this person that she knows nothing about nothing like general presumptions about family income so the timeline is six o'clock elizabeth okay. leaves the hospital she gets kidnapped by Carl. <laughs> so yeah. at 6.15 to 7.30-ish, Elizabeth is supposed to be at tutoring Max Dellen, who <laughs> is struggling in English. Yes. And reading Othello. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and after that, Elizabeth is supposed to be home, and her and Jessica are supposed to go to the party at 8 o'clock together. Yes. And Jessica is waiting for Elizabeth to get home. And it's taking a long time. <laughs> yeah. And so she, she's so consumed over her mission. She doesn't even wait till 8 o'clock. I think at 7.50, she calls her friend and mm-hmm. is like, take me to this party. And she does. And so she leaves. And, and I love the description of this house when they're being guided in by the butler, of course. Of but course. The butler is there with a vaguely British accent. That's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> and they go past the dining room, the library, the billiards room. And at this point, I'm like, they're in the Clue house. This is Clue. That's what <laughs> it really is. is. So Jessica and Kara are the first people there, which seems yeah. unlike Jessica. You'd think she'd be kind of the fashionably late type, but she is on a mission. She has yes. a goal. Just want any other woman to intercepts this person exactly and regina shows up first she shows up first <laughs> there are some problems with how <laughs> i'm trying to write about ability and disability in this text yes okay so regina she starts talking to Kara first and Kara's asking her questions and then Jessica chimes in and Regina completely ignores her and Jessica 
is confused about this. And I thought at first she was just dissing Jessica. And, and I was like, you go, girl. Just diss that, Jessica. But it turns out that Regina is deaf, which was, I didn't see this coming. I didn't either. I don't profess to know much about the deaf versus like hearing community, but it just seems odd that the implication is the only way that Jessica becomes aware of Regina's um, deafness is that she she tells her, you know, yes. before that she's overheard Regina having this conversation and there's absolutely like no indicator like whatsoever that um, it sounds as if she speaks as seamlessly as someone who is hearing. Yes. And yes. and so that was a little odd, but perhaps possible. I don't, you know, I don't know. But just thinking of people like Marley Matlin or other people that I've like seen in media who yes. are well-known, but who are also um, deaf. I agree with you 100%. Especially since they say, and I looked this up, that she's been deaf since birth. Right. It's an interesting choice. It seems like a relatively random choice. Not that anyone has to be defined by any kind of perceived ability, disability, etc. But it didn't feel very well thought out. And it felt like something that was just kind of like thrown in there and be like, hey, here's some variation or whatever. And because of that, a very ham-handed way of trying to articulate or represent different types of ability. Mm Mm-hmm in something that we're perceiving is going to be like is being put out for young adults, you know? Absolutely. But Jessica's response is just, I would have wanted to kick her out of the house right then and there where she says, Oh, you poor thing. How awful for you. And I actually wrote "Ah!" (laughs) a scream into, into the margin because I just, I couldn't deal with her. And then she said, Oh, your brother's not deaf. Is he? It was like she thought a terrible thought. Oh, then a horrible thought entered her mind. Is Nicholas deaf too? She asked. It's like, okay. But Jessica is impressed with Nicholas because he's gorgeous and he seems genuinely interested in her, even though I think he might just be being polite. Right. And she's also set herself up to like have a great impression of him sort of no matter what. It would relate to him doing something horrible or uncouth or apparently being deaf um, to, you know, for her to have an issue. Right. It sounds like. Yep. Jessica's doing her thing at the party. And Max. She's talking about Max. I mean, Max is waiting for Elizabeth. She's not Mm -hmm. coming. He's getting mad at first. And then he is getting concerned. Mm-hmm. Max is the guitar player for the school band, the Droids. Droids. Mm-hmm. The Droids. They're a big deal, Ashley. I don't know if okay. you knew that. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but if he doesn't do well in English, he will get kicked off the Droids. Or his dad will forbid him from being on the Droids. Pretty so it's trash. a big deal for him. And he's trying to read Othello. And he, I think he calls her first. And then he can't get a hold of her. And then he's like, I'm out. He's he's like, I'm going to go look for this person, right. which is really nice. Awesome. Yeah, everyone wants a friend like Max, who is not going to waste time. And he doesn't really, I can't remember if it says this or not, but to a certain extent, I think he sort of doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him if he is, you know, kind of like causing a big commotion for no reason. I think yeah. he has this idea of like, like, I'd rather 
be embarrassed that I made it, you know, made a big to do over something that turns out to be nothing and feel like I didn't, you know, I didn't act or I didn't even go look. So yeah, when in that scene in the book where he just, you know, he heads out on his bike to look for us, like, yeah, at least this is someone, this is like someone worth rooting for in this story. Yes, yes. And he, he sneaks out and he's going to the hospital to look for her because he knows that she was going to come from the hospital. Mm -hmm. So around this time, this is all kind of happening at the same time. We have Todd, Elizabeth's boyfriend. Oh God, Todd. (laughs) I have so many feelings about Todd. (laughs) Most of them are negative. (laughs) Todd, yeah, he's not my favorite either. But he does notice that Elizabeth has not arrived at the party. He does notice her absence, (laughs) which is to his credit, I suppose. And he does try to get Jessica's attention. And she, Jessica does feel a little something in in her body that she's felt before when Elizabeth was in an an accident. And so she feels that, but then she looks and sees her friend Lila Fowler walking in and she knows that Lila is really assertive with men and she doesn't, she's nervous to let Nicholas be alone with Lila. So, and she doesn't think that Todd's going to go away. So she makes up a lie. She tells Todd that Elizabeth got a last minute call from Mr. Collins (laughs) to babysit. babysit. And so she knows that will keep Todd at bay and he won't be bothering her over something that's not a big deal and worrying over nothing. Mm-hmm. He's not completely convinced in this case, but she gets rid of him for, for a little bit. Yes. This is about 9.30. Elizabeth's been gone for three and a half hours. And Todd is like, I'm going to just check on Elizabeth. And he calls Mr. Collins right. and... He's like, where's Elizabeth? And Mr. Collins says, what are you talking about? Right. And Todd's just knows, okay, Jessica just completely lied to me. And he is definitely not happy. So Todd goes to find Jessica and she's at the pool, sitting on the side, talking to Nicholas, happy as can be. And Todd does something a little extreme. Yeah, I think he... I don't know if he says something to her first or not, but he winds up pushing her into the pool. Just, yeah, because he's angry and he he thinks that he should have done something more extreme to her. And then at one point he screams at her that he should have like strangled her. He could kill her or something like that. And all of that, yeah, seems seems a bit much. So at that point I was uh, not really into Todd anymore. Yeah, it, the pushing in the pool felt... A little bit violent. It's like, oh, Todd. Todd has some real issues. Yeah. You know? So he tells Jessica that he knows that she lied and that it's after nine thirty, and Elizabeth isn't here yet, and something is not right. And Jessica finally kind of gets it in her head that yes. something is wrong. Yeah. Then she's really nervous. So at this point, at least people know that she's missing. Right. That's true. And Max, he does go to the hospital and he sees Elizabeth's car there. Mm -hmm. Like her car is still there. And my favorite is (laughs) he sees like a sweater in the front seat and he is just like, (gasps) 
something is wrong. There's a sweater. It is too cold to leave your sweater on the front seat. It's true. It was I like love that. exclamation it's points. It's just like he knows something must have happened to her because there's no way she would have left her sweater behind. What I love is that like several sentences later, it's followed up by, oh, and her purse is here too with her wallet and everything else. <laughs> and, you know, it seems like that would be the real moment. That right. Like, rather than this the cardigan that's just like left. Yes. It's literally, he says, oh my God. He muttered softly. Something's happened to her. Exclamation point. Her sweater was on the seat. It was an unusually cool evening and he knew she wouldn't have deliberately left it behind. Yeah. It's, it's you know, tell sweater. His conclusion's correct, but like the way he gets there is odd. Yeah. And while he's doing this, going through everything, coincidentally, the police come up behind him. Yeah. And they're, they say, like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look great. You know, he's going through a car. It's not his car. Right. And they're not really buying this whole my friend is missing thing, even though her purse is there. Right. That seems like it would be a pretty good thing to prove that this person is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really buy it. They have some history with him mm-hmm. and they, they take him in. So Max is at the police station. Yes. And no longer pursuing Elizabeth's whereabouts, which, you know, he was the first person to like actually start looking for her. So that's kind yeah. of um, a hitch in the plan that's of, if she's going to be rescued by anybody or someone's going to figure out where she is. Yeah. And the police get involved at some point. The Wakefields mm-hmm. do call the police eventually. And and then they start to suspect Max. Right. They're asking him a lot of questions. Why were you in her car? <laughs> right. And, you know, he's kind of a likely suspect. No, it makes absolute sense why they would suspect him and not believe his you know, his story that he is just there because she was supposed to be tutoring him in Othello. But it is an unfortunate sort of miscarriage of justice in the moment that just distracts further from the the real menace at hand. Because kind of throughout all of this, we're kind of cutting back, and I'm using film terminology, but we're kind of, we're going back and there's a parallel narrative happening here where we're also aware of what's unfolding with Elizabeth and yeah. And let's talk about, let's talk about Elizabeth's situation in the cabin. She starts tied up and gagged, gagged, blindfolded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know who's taken her until it's revealed to be a crawl. I think she recognizes his voice at first kind of, and then she, she understands that it's him. Um, and she remembers that everything came back and he, you know, he tricked her. I wrote here as, as a true crime fan and a big fan of the My Favorite Murder podcast mm-hmm. as well. They had this whole thing about saying fuck politeness and that, you know, if someone's making you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to be polite. You know, women are constantly taught to be polite, you know, and, and not cause a big fuss and mm-hmm. be worried about hurting people's feelings or offending and to not let that come at the expense of your own personal safety. But mm-hmm. kind of similar to Max, it's better to have overreacted than to realize that you 
you're then in a very dangerous situation or something. So she, you know, she says here, or she, I guess she's thinking this, so we're getting this exposition. Carl, whom she sensed had been following her around the hospital ever since she started working there, who always seemed to stare at her with a strange sense of longing, the man whose actions had disturbed her lately, but not enough to report him or even to share her concerns with anyone else. And now it was too late. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that she'd felt sorry for him, et cetera. And she's blaming herself a lot, which isn't really correct. It's not her fault or anything. It's not her fault that Carl took her, but also I think saying fuck politeness and, you know, reporting Carl and saying, Hey, this guy's creeping me out is, is also a good thing, you know? Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about Carl. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what Carl's history is. I was surprised that maybe this hadn't happened before or had it. Especially because when we get the description of his apartment, Elizabeth keeps describing his home as a hovel repeatedly and says that it's ramshackle and he doesn't even have a stove where he has a hot plate and he buys these shitty frozen pancakes and wants to serve during all these other, everything about Carl's incredibly low rent, even though he's really, he's trying, like, not that I'm trying to have sympathy for Carl because, you know, screw him for kidnapping her, but he doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like he has malicious intent to try and like harm or murder Elizabeth or anything like that. It seems like he just, he, I think he even says he wants to keep her like a pet bird, yep. at one point, which is super creepy and not okay. And of course um, a crime and Carl should totally be arrested and not sorry for him or anything. There's this way that he delusionally believes this to be some kind of, relationship that can actually like be carried out and he's he's tried to get things nice you know for for elizabeth and he's trying to please her in his own weird way then we also learn like the extremes that have been taken to kind of like secure the home so that elizabeth can't escape once she's there and i think that's a good kind of argument for has this happened before you know just mm-hmm. because of kind of the layout of, of the home and they talk about you know once you get through one door there's like another locked door you uh-huh. know like feet away from that and it has like this hh home style murder castle quality to it but instead in this kind of what i assume is like this trailer home or something yeah elizabeth she does try to escape a couple times she kind of uses her manipulations to get him to untie her. Yeah, she kind of plays into that idea of him not wanting to hurt her and being kind to her. And so he does untie her and then she bolts for the door and she opens it and it's, like you said, like a kind of a screened-in porch but boarded in. Right. I love the H.H. Holmes style. (laughs) so good. She opens another door, and then there's another right. screen porch and exactly. another door. Yes. Yeah, and the next day he does go back to work to kind of keep appearances up. And mm-hmm. Elizabeth, do you do you feel like, and I don't want to judge Elizabeth, do you feel like she tried hard enough to escape during that whole day? So, you know, that's kind of something that I wondered about. I was thinking about um, this film, The Berlin Syndrome, which I know we've talked a little bit about. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, during, uh, during this, where it's another situation where someone's confined to someone's home, but then is left alone for long stretches of time. And compared to the, you know, the protagonist in that 
that film who really, you really do feel like they, they really exhaust all of the possibilities to where it really seems, you know, kind of like the, what else could one do? Elizabeth, in fact, she's very clear about the fact that she's kind of given up on doing things on her own because she becomes very convinced at some point that, well, of course, someone will just come looking for Mm -hmm. me. And of course I'll be rescued. So I guess I just have to be here for however long that is. And then Mm. um, that was a very odd gesture as she starts using her fingernail to tear hash marks into the cushion of the chair that she's bound to, to mark the days of her incarceration (laughs) in this hovel. Um, (laughs) Is there anything, I'm trying to think, is there anything as far as the build-up to the climax that stood out for you? For me, it's again, Todd being awful this time to Max. Yeah. um, And punching him for no apparent reason. It becomes increasingly apparent to me that Todd has some anger issues. Yeah. Todd is very volatile and I don't trust him. You're right. Todd is very violent in this, in this book. And I understand he's concerned, but to lash out in two ways with kind of these physical violent acts is a little It's weird violence too, because he, I think he starts off by grabbing Max by the shoulder and he wants to know everything. And, you know, Max, you know, kind of, says something to the effect of like, I'm not responsible for this or whatever. And Todd isn't satisfied with that. And he threatens to not hit him, but to shake it out of him. You know, I don't want to gender things in any particular ways, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to map on to the like really intense mass, like threatening masculinity that he's trying to portray. <laughs> he's going to shake him. And then seemingly out of nowhere, he punches him. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. right. And Jessica is actually the one who has to step in and be like, right. your bozos, or mostly just Todd's the bozo. This is not helping. You blaming Max for Elizabeth's disappearance or trying to interrogate him, this is not going to help. And they band together, the three of them, and they become a little trio. So they go to look for Elizabeth. Or no, they go to the hospital because they figure that they right. could maybe find some answers at the hospital. Yes. It's implied that the police have kind of written off this, that Elizabeth is a runaway, which makes right, no right. sense. Zero. And yet it is so true of things in the 80s. Mm. And partic- but 80s are a point in time where people start like thinking of children differently. And that's, mm. you know, and there are the Atlanta child murders in the early 80s and stuff too. And this whole idea of like, do you know where your children are? Child safety. But those are in communities where like parents have to work, you know, and like you, right. you think right. of them as being middle or lower working, working class environments and not Sweet Valley where there are butlers and there are house- and there are all yes. these people who can, you know, can be keeping tabs on on individuals as well but this this excuse of people being runaways particularly in communities where the families were disenfranchised and police like didn't want to be bothered expending resources to look for these individuals that happened a lot so it is then really odd that we see that happening in the sweet valley yeah that's interesting yeah especially we have this middle class white girl Mm -hmm. you know it's you think it would be firestorm and all hands right. on deck and yeah and it's this affluent community too yeah trying to determine whether or not there is 
an interloper in the area who's going to be a threat to other members of the community. There is a time pressure on this because Carl is going to take Elizabeth to a very remote location in the mountains Mm -hmm. where he doesn't have to tie her up anymore because she, there's going to be no one around for miles. And so she's really worried that once that happens, it's going to be over and she's going to be stuck with Carl. Right. And he tells her that he's taking her like the following night. Yes. She, she tears, she tears that second hash mark into the seat cushion and she knows, she knows time's ticking. And then all of a sudden her plan of I'll just be rescued becomes a, not such a great plan right. any, anymore. She doesn't know she's going to have enough time yeah. in which to be rescued. And- yeah. And at this point, we're like 10 pages from the end of the book. Yes. And I am just reading this and I'm like, okay, this is, what's going to happen? Is this going to wrap up this quick? How are they going to find Elizabeth in 10 pages? Exactly. And then the way it's accomplished <laughs> is very strange. Okay. I thought this was amazing. But you <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah Yeah. they're at the hospital jessica's there max is there todd is there and carl sees jessica and thinks that she's elizabeth that she's escaped despite his intense love for elizabeth he has no idea that she is an identical twin right um and he's very public about it. it's like elizabeth yeah. I can't you're here and and is charging at her and jessica decides she'll play this great ruse and she'll just she'll go along with it she'll pretend to be elizabeth and that will somehow allow this person to reveal like where elizabeth's being held like the lot i think part of why i think the ending is so bananas is like the lines of logic they're loose throughout the book but they're especially loose in, in this climax where, you know, she, he's like, I can't believe you escaped. She, she's pretending to be Elizabeth. Max tackles him and has, has Carl pinned beneath him with a wrestling move that he learned in phys ed. Um, oh. Even though we're led to believe that Carl is quite sizable. Oh, that's this, true. Yeah. But the high school student pins him. He's not even on the wrestling team or anything as far as I know. He just learned the moves. That's the power of Max. Yeah. He's he's able to immobilize Carl. And and then when the police arrive and handcuff him, and Jessica just drops the act at that moment. And she's like, I'm not Elizabeth. I'm Jessica. And you know, you weren't making her happy. You're the worst. And like it just it just makes no sense. She hasn't gotten any kind of confession about like where he's keeping Elizabeth. I guess she's assuming that it must be at his home. Uh-huh. They'll know where he is and they'll know where he lives. But that's a lot of assumptions that you know he Good hasn't. Point. Or in like a storage locker or something. So the the assumption that like they don't still need Carl to divulge where he's keeping her he has all the cards still at this moment. Right. So those things all seem kind of inexplicable. Yeah. I don't know if that was his main residence. Was that on the, his employee form at the hospital? How did they, you know, he could have just said nothing. And at this point, I don't think he has said anything about like where. Right. No. Been holding. We don't really get anything from Carl after the police take him away. They just show up at the cab at the hovel. But Elizabeth is rescued. She is. And then they have a 
party, a, a welcome back party, which I thought was weird. Is that weird? So weird. In fact, I underlined it. Okay. The, her, their mother's asking Elizabeth, like, what she wants to do. And she's like, I want to take a bubble bath and I want to eat. Then I want to sit down with Jessica and plan the best party this town has seen, which is just. What? Like, what does the sign say at that party? Welcome home from your yeah. kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we leave the book. And mm-hmm. we're kind of left with this moment where Nicholas Morrow shows up at the party and him and Elizabeth have kind of a moment there. You know, it's so interesting, too, because <laughs> so the whole thing with Carl's that he looks at her creepy, right? And then when Nicholas shows up at the party, Elizabeth answers the door and he's just kind of love struck. And she mentions specifically that there was no way Elizabeth could mistake the look she saw in his eyes, a look that said, you're the one I want. It made her feel awkward and uncomfortable. And it's like, these are the very feelings she ignored about Carl. And this is wow. where it led to this kind of the nightmare. Story. It's it's the end of Carrie with the hand shooting up from the grave, you know, wow. and like it's the nightmare starting all over again. Oh my gosh. That is, I can't even with that. That is <laughs> freaking brilliant, Ashley. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I feel, I don't know if the writer did that on purpose, but it really uh, says some foreshadowing there. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We will see. Because the yeah. next one, it says, will Elizabeth leave Todd for Nicholas? Mm-hmm. Find out in Sweet Valley High 14. Deceptions. What? Whew. That was a doozy. It was. It was a lot. How does Carl compare with <laughs> the lectors? The Dahmers. <laughs> you know, I would say he's, Lecter's just such a mythic, you know, he's he's like the, the archetype of what we think of as like the really smart serial killer. And that's like a popular tale in media. It's a fantasy, right? These people are not these incredible masterminds. They're just different in a way that we can't quite understand get on the same wavelength as they have this they have this advantage like a lack of empathy all these other things i don't think carl fits into any of those categories carl has empathy he does actually i think seem to have some genuine ability to understand that he's causing her discomfort etc loosening you know loosening the ropes and stuff he feels bad when she says you're hurting me you know and stuff so um i don't think that he's that Carl's a sociopath, I think Carl is, it seems a lot more functioning under these lines of like delusion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe some kind of mental illness. Um, yeah. 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 I appreciate the analysis. Yeah. <laughs> so lessons. Yes. When it comes to lessons from this book, Ashley, is there anything you can take away you know, fuck politeness is always a great lesson, you yeah. know, about like uh, looking that. out for yourself, um, looking out for your friends like Max, you know, I think I think that's a good Aww. thing. Yeah. Be aware of toxic masculinity in all its forms, like whether it be Todd or whether it be Carl, who's so fixated on his own wants and needs. I mean, those yeah. are really good lessons. And mine is not nearly as good. <laughs> 
I was struggling. For some reason, I could not get over. I thought it was such a great tool if you're going to be kidnapped to have a twin. The kidnapper can't know you have a twin, but if they don't, you could kind of, it's just kind of like, almost like fishing. You just walk around places that you think maybe the kidnapper might be, and whoever reacts to you, that's the kidnapper, you know? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's possible. It it requires a lot of things to go just right. (laughs) That is true. That is true. But I've just, I guess I've never seen in any of the the books or the movies that I've seen that that's how they find a kidnapper. That's how they find someone. There's always some clue and they have to go to this, but it's like, Oh no, all it takes is you have a twin and you just set them loose in a hospital. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there you go. There's a kidnapper. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my lesson. I also just want to say, so Please. my book, a used book. Yes. And what I love about used books are like seeing signs of the previous owner uh-huh stephanie schwager if you're listening i had your your copy <laughs> of kidnapped and she wrote her name in the book a couple of times there's this little mystery in it that says i heart blank twice so i guess i don't know this is a way she was like sharing notes that's amazing i love in the back you know it's one of these copies where they list all the books in the series yes. and like you could get you could order them through <gasps> the mail and she's ticked off she all the ones that she has and all the ones she off. wants. Oh my gosh. And, and then in the back, there's just this lovely drawing of, of a house and a tree and, and some clouds and sun. And I could tell that from this that I feel like Stephanie was a big Sweet Valley fan. And it felt, it felt like really sweet that I got a copy of this book that was probably like very loved Oh, someone at one point in time. So that was that was very fun reading it. And as I was reading it, I guess I sort of imagined what it might be like for a young person, you know, who had it reading it at the time. So that is so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Tear. I love that. I heart blank is that's got to be my favorite. I want to know the answer. I really want to know. Stephanie, if you're listening, please. Please message the show. Please message us on the Lessons from Sweet Valley Facebook page. (laughs) Or if you're a friend of Stephanie's, be be a Max. Be a Max and like reach out to Stephanie and say, hey, I heard your name on the show. And the podcasters, they really, they really want to know who is blank. Help us solve the mystery. Is it someone from the book? Is it someone outside the text? Yes. Maybe she got married. Maybe they dated. Maybe they have kids. Who is blank? Yeah. Write us. And also, subscribe to the Lessons from Sweet Valley podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating and review if you enjoy the show. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. And we would love to hear your memories of the series, feedback on the shows, and if you're interested in being a future guest. Thank you again, Ashley, for being an amazing guest. And we will see you next week for book 14, Deceptions. Deceptions.